Last time we began Surah Kaf, and you would remember I mentioned to you that the Kuffar of Quraysh sent two people to Medina Manorah, to the Jews of Medina Manorah, to ask them that what is it that we can do since we've noticed that you have not accepted this person, Muhammad Mustafa Sallallahu as the last Prophet, why don't you accept him and what is there that we can do or what questions can we ask him to expose him for falsehood? And so the Jews of Medina Manorah told them, right, those two people who went, that go back and tell your leaders that you should ask him three questions. Number one is, what is the ruh? Number two, tell us about the people of the cave. And number three, tell us about the person who traveled from east to west. In other words, tell us about Zulqarnain, which is a story that's coming shortly. Some people say that that is Alexander the Great. Now, when they went back to the Kufar of Quraysh and Makkah Makkah and told them this, that we have to ask these three questions, so they asked the Prophet these questions. And that is what brings us to this next verse. We are here on Surah number 18, Surah Al-Kaf. This is in the 16th Jews, or what you call the Bada in Urdu, and we're on verse number 23. Right? And Allah Sponta says, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem, Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Wala taqoolanna li shay'in inni fa'ilan dhanaka ghadan illa an yasha'Allah. That you should not say that you will do anything about any matter, that I will do this tomorrow, except that you say, Insha'Allah. Now, what happened here is actually the Prophet ﷺ himself, when he was asked these three questions, told them that I will respond to you tomorrow. Because the Prophet ﷺ didn't have that ilm at that moment, but he knew that this is a test. And like any other test in the past, Allah subhanahu wa will send what he will send revelation to him. And so he told him to come back tomorrow. But the Prophet ﷺ didn't say, Insha'Allah. And so to, in order to train the Prophet ﷺ and to train the Ummah, the first thing is Allah Subhanahu wa did not send revelation to the Prophet ﷺ for 15 days. For 15 days, for 15 days he did not get any wahi. Now what happened is the next day, the Mushrikeen and Kufar Makkah came to him and said, okay, it's tomorrow, now tell us about these three questions. He had no answer. This continued for 15 days such that by the 15th day, the Mushrikeen and Kufar were rejoicing and they thought that this has been a very successful plan of ours. That we consult the Jews of Medina Manawara. They give us these three questions and look, these three questions have left this person silent. Right? So then Allah subhanahu wa then the very first revelation that was revealed after those 15 days was this. That do not say about any matter, any affair that I barely I will do it tomorrow except that you qualify that statement by adding the phrase Allah." Verily, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills. Now, obviously, uh, still the shari hukam for this is not that it's fard, absolutely mandatory. But, as you notice, the Prophet and there are other places in the Qur'an al-Kareem where the Prophet is slightly, if you will, rebuked or slightly warned or slightly cautioned or slightly educated, right, about what to do. This does not indicate in any way any type of sin in the Prophet ﷺ. This was not an act of sin of his that he didn't say insha'Allah. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala during the process of revelation and the process of hidayah, just like we mentioned when we did Surah Al-Fatiha, in the third level of hidayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides people. Well, Rasulullah ﷺ was also a recipient of hidayah. In the first instance, he did not know the Qur'an before it was revealed to him. So as the verses of the Qur'an were revealed to him, he is the first ummati in the sense that he's not... He is the first Muslim. He is the first person who listens to, accepts, and submits to the Qur'an al-Kareem. So just like the Qur'an al-Kareem is for all of insan, it's also for the Prophet ﷺ. Second thing is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this book also guides a Prophet on how to be a Prophet. 
So you, sometimes you get glimpses into that training that how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is training Rasulullah how to f- best fulfill the duty of Nabuwa. This is something, right, that all of us knew and have heard and we see that whenever we say something, we say, inshallah, when we plan to do something. Maybe some of us didn't know actually that this was a verse of the Qur'an al-Kareem. Maybe some of us thought this was a hadith or something our parents tell us to do or a good teaching. This is a formal verse of the Qur'an. And the very first person who was initially instructed was the Prophet ﷺ. This also points to something else I've been explaining to you in the past few days, is that we do not confine a verse to the particular context of its revelation. Learning what we call the Sha'an in Azul or the Sabab in Azul is not in any way meant to confine that verse. So it doesn't mean this is only for the Prophet. That only the Prophet should not say about some matter that they intend to do tomorrow or the next day. Literally it's tomorrow, but it means Umumi Mana would mean any time in the future. No, this is a lesson for everyone. Alright. Then Allah Spantans continues, Nasita. And remember, make a dhikr of your Rabb, remember your Lord, Nasita, if and when you forget. So if you forget to say insha'Allah, and what was the purpose then, Allah is making, what's the purpose of saying insha'Allah? Zikr. That whenever you do something or intend to do something, you must do so in a state of dhikr. And you must remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. particular way here is that I have no ability or might to do this act tomorrow. I have no ability or might to guarantee that I will last till tomorrow. So all of this will be based on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granting me that power. وَقُلْ And then what you should say is that perhaps Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, my Lord, Rabbi, my Lord, will guide me لِأَقْرَبْ to that which is even closer to thinness in rush, to that which is even closer in guidance. Right? What does this mean now? The general meaning of this is that whenever we fall into a slip, it can be for anything now. Now you extrapolate one further level of meaning. Not just when we forget to say insha'Allah, when we forget to do anything that required us to remember Allah, be it an obligation, be it something that was mustab, if you can remember it and do it later, right, then that is best. And at that moment, then if you're penitent, then you can ask Allah Ta'ala to grant you that which is akram. The akram zikr here is to have remembered at a proper time, right? And the Prophet used similar words of nisyan in this famous incident of Laylatul Taris, which was the night when the Prophet and the Sahaba camped out uh, at a particular place. And the Prophet told Sayyidina Bilal anhu that you are the Muaddin, so you should stand watch at night and you should wake all of us up with the Adhan of Fajr. And the Prophet and the companions went to sleep. Sayyidina Bilal anhu stood there, stood there, and he eventually also went to sleep. And the Prophet woke up when the sun had already risen, and he woke up because the sun had risen, and those rays of sunlight fell upon his blessed cheek. When he woke up, he asked Bilal, that, why is it that you slept? You were supposed to wake us up for Fajr. We've missed Fajr Salah, all of the Sahaba and the Prophet, right? You would imagine, you would be terrified, right? If you don't Right? But Sayyidina Bilal was a very simple person. And he simply said that, Ya Rasulullah, the same being who made you sleep, that same Zat, that same entity, Allah, He also made me sleep. Oh, he got out of it. Right? Then the Prophet used these same words, that if you forget, you must remember. And do that remembrance as soon as possible. And as soon as you remember, you should do that action that you forgot. And that's why the Prophet at that very moment, right, gathered all the Sahaba, woke everybody up, and then they all prayed Fajr Salah in Jama'ah as a Qaza prayer. Right? So the general meaning here is that if you forget something, you should remember it, and you should make du'a to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, grant me that ability to remember things 
at its proper time. Then one or two more verses on this incident of the companions of the cave that we finished last time on Friday. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That they lived in their cave for 300 years. And you can add nine more. So 309 years. However, immediately after that, he says, But say, my beloved messenger, that Allah is more knowing, He is atlam. He knows truly and better how long they stayed there. To Allah subhanahu wa belongs the knowledge of the unseen, of the firmaments, the heavens and of the earth. Right? Absir bihi wa asmeh. Allah subhanahu wa absir. He is more, not just basir, he is absir, he is the most seeing. Wa asmeh and he is the most hearing. Ma lahum min dunihi and they have nothing, right? Uh, they have no, uh, how would you put? They have no support. They have no assistance. Dunillah other than Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Ma lahum min dunihi min waliyin wala yushiku fi hukmihi ahada. That they have no wali except for that other than Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and they have, they cannot create any shariq to his hukm. There are two possible meanings here. The first meaning is that the people in the cave genuinely did stay there for 309 years. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that now that I've told you their complete story, you should tell these mushrikeen that know that this is a small incident that Allah ta'ala has bestowed upon me to show the veracity of my prophethood, some knowledge of the unseen, that which I did not know. But know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has immense treasures and immense knowledge of that which is unseen. And this is just but a drop of it. So not should not should you not just be impressed with my nabuwa that I'm able to tell you a story that I wouldn't have otherwise known, but rather this should lead you to iman in that being who is alimul ghayb, who knows the unseen, who revealed to me this story. That's the purpose of nabuwa is to link a person back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not merely to make the mushrikeen and kufar qa'il of the Prophet Alright? Another view is that this position of 309 years is what was written in the books of Ahl kitab and so Allah Ta'ala is revealing to the Prophet to tell them that they lived there 309 years, so that they're even more convinced that, wow, well, he knows what's written in our books. But tell them that even their knowledge is incomplete, and Allah knows best how long they truly lived there. Either way, the notion is that, and going back to that story, is that they lived there for several centuries. And kind of the rest of that story we mentioned to you last time. All right? Now Allah Subhanahu wa moves to a different topic. We're done with the Ashab al-Kaf and that is the Wajud Tasmiyah or the incident for which this surah is named. Another thing, right, it's not necessarily the case that the name of the surah reflects the most predominant story in that surah or the name of the surah brings up some theme in that surah based on which every other thing in that surah should be looked at. No. This is a ghalib thing that this was a major story in this surah and the surah happens to be named after surah uh, the surah happens to be named after the story but as you will see there are several other major major incidents and some might even argue the story which is coming we may reach it today of Sayyidina Musa al-Islam al-Khizr is even more amazing a story uh, and has even more lessons in it uh, than uh, the story of the people of Kaf, but however, the surah has not been named Surat al Khizr, but rather has been named as Surat al Kaf. <coughs> After this, Salaspanta continues to now be on verse number 27 for those of you who are following along. And recite what has been revealed to you of the book of your Lord. There is no one to change his words, and you will never find a refuge beside him. Keep yourself content. This is a very famous verse. This I'll read for you in Arabic. 
وَصْبِرْ نَفْسَكَ Do sabr with your nafs. It means bring yourself into the company of those people. الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ رَبَّهُمْ Those people who make dua to their Lord. بِالْغَنَاطِ وَالْعَشِيِّ In the morning and in the evening. Right? And this is a kinaya that they, this is an algorithm that they make dua to the Lord often and frequently. يُرِيدُونَ وَجْهَهُ They are seeking His pleasure. Waj literally means face, but here waj is a kinaya, means they're seeking His pleasure. They're seeking to worship Him. They're seeking to become dhakir, they're seeking to become madhkur. They're seeking to become muhib, they want to become mahbub. They want to remember, be remembered. They want to love, they want to be loved. Right? There are such people who turn to the Lord in dua, right, morning and evening. وَلَا تَعْدُوا أَيْنَاكَ anhum. Then Allah Ta'ala tells the Prophet that do not avert your gaze from them. Literally keep your eyes on them. Even looking at such people is something that is going to be beneficial of you. تُرِيدُوا زِينَةَ الْحَيَاةِ dunya That you want the beauty of this world. Now what happened was this mentioned in the hadith, the occasion of this revelation, is that there were some leaders of the Kuffar of Quraysh who came to the Prophet ﷺ and said, we want to speak with you. We're willing to listen to you and sit with you, but we want you to tell these companions of yours to go away. For example, most famous mention in the hadith is Sayyidina Bilal radiallahu anhu. Why? Because number one, he's poor. Number two, he's habashi. It was a racial thing. It's beneath us that when we have audience with you, we should share that audience with these people. Now the Prophet was initially inclined, this is before his amal. Sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lets him do the amal and then sends revelation later, such as the verse in Insha'Allah. Here the Prophet hasn't made this amal yet, but Allah ta'ala can see inside his breast what he's thinking. And the Prophet is thinking that, look, I'm a Nabi. And my primary task is spreading this message of Tawheed and Risala. Sayyidina Bilal and the other Samana Farsi, there are a few others mentioned in the hadith, they already got the message. So I can tell them to leave if this is the condition these people want, no problem. At least they're willing to give me audience. And you also have to think emotionally, the Prophet was so happy about that, because the leaders of his own tribe, Quraysh, were the ones who were the most refusing to even grant him audience, let alone accepting the deen of Islam. So it was kind of a breakthrough, an opportunity. So in his heart, he was beginning to consider sending away, right? Bilal and the other companions of these people, I'll meet your shirt, no problem. When you come, I will get you exclusive audience. But Allah Ta'ala says, no, don't do that. Right? Wasbir nafsaka. Do sabr. Restrain yourself. Keep yourself with those people. With your true companions who are the ones who have accepted your message. Who are turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala morning and evening. And do not look uh, for the zenith of this world. Do not give in to this, this, these people's philosophy that because they are wealthy, they are somehow entitled to a separate and exclusive audience. So that is the specific meaning. Of this, let me finish the verse. وَلَا تُطِعْ مَنْ أَغْفَلْنَا قَلْبَهُ أَنْ ذِكْرِنَا And do not obey. Technically Allah is not telling the Prophet ﷺ this. Now the Prophet wasn't going to do itaas of anybody else other than Allah. وَلَا تُطِعْ Do not obey مَنْ أَغْفَلْنَا قَلْبَهُ أَنْ ذِكْرِنَا That person whose heart, whose qalb, whose spiritual heart we have made غَافِلْ أَنْ ذِكْرِنَا From our remembrance, from our dhikr. And instead of the dhikr, what does he follow? Hawa. He follows his own whims and desires. وَكَانَ أَمْرُهُ فُرَطَ And their matter verily is something that is exceeded. You have ifrat tafrit furata. Their matter, they have exceeded the known limits and the known bounds. But again, this verse is not to be confined to that shot in the zul. This hukam, this verse, right, if it was just for the Prophet, then that would have been part of extra scriptural revelation. When Allah Ta'ala chooses, chooses to scripturalize 
In other words, to make part of the kitab, the Qur'an, some particular thing, it means it has a lesson for all of the ummah. So actually, me and you are also addressed by this command, that we should keep the company of those people who worship their Lord regularly and sincerely. We should not avert our gaze from their face. We should not seek instead of them the zenith of the hayat of dunya, whether it's seeking people who might be more fashionable, or who might be more wealthy, or might be more popular, or who might be more in. We shouldn't avert our gaze from or our company from the pious and fall into this trap, right? And that is what happens many times to young people, right? They begin on this initial feeling that they want to become closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the people who are religious, their company is dry, right? So you lose the going out to cuckoos at night in groups, and you lose all these things, and you have to lose the Lums Music Society, and these things burden you, right? And it makes it difficult because the, the dunya is has zinat. It is alluring, it is attractive, it has beauty, it enraptures us, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying in this Qur'an al-Kareem that do not be enraptured by the beauty and adornments of this worldly life. Rather restrain, and it will take sabr. Allah ta'ala is using a particular saying, it will take sabr. You will have to exert some sabr on yourself. You have to restrain yourself from falling into that attraction. And you will have to restrain yourself with those people who have been successful basically on this that they have averted themselves from the zenith of this world and they are engaged in seeking the pleasure of their Lord day and night, morning and evening on a regular basis. Then the second thing, Same thing, that do not obey, do not follow. Do not let yourself be intellectually won over by those people. Allah Ta'ala saying is that I have made their heart ghafil from my dhikr. So another thing we learn from this verse in the Qur'an al-Kareem, that the seat of dhikr is the qalb. Why else is Allah subhanahu saying that when they became empty of dhikr, it was their qalb that became empty of dhikr. So this verse has also been used as a delil or as a plus for dhikr al-qalbi, for silent remembrance of Allah Ta'ala from our heart. Right? And the second thing Allah is mentioning, when they lose the dhikr in their heart, what comes in their heart? What do they follow then? What is it that they're doing? They're following, they're doing ittiba of their hawa. It means basically that either if you're in a state of remembrance of Allah, you will follow His wishes. And if you're not in a state of remembrance, you don't have to be in a state of sin. Nothing is being mentioned here as being in sin. Just the absence of remembrance automatically makes a person fall into following their own desires. So, adhmi dhikr, just leaving the remembrance of Allah in our spiritual heart is what makes us fall prey and victim to our wishes and our desires and our fancies. Right? And then Allah continues and then say the truth is from your Lord, the haq is from your Rabb. Now whoever so wills may believe and whoever so wills may disbelieve. فَمَنْ شَاءَ فَالْيُؤْمِنْ وَمَنْ شَاءَ فَالْيَكْفُرْ This does not mean that Allah subhanahu is saying kufr is jayas. What he's saying here is that he's given you free will and you've been given the haq and it's manifest, right? And specifically if you want to contextualize it, the story the story of Ashab al-Kaf was given to you, O Mushrikeen of Mecca. And go back and check with your buddies, the Jews of Medina. And you will find that the Apostle mentioned the story exactly how it is. So you've been given that haq, which is a small drop. Or the whole Qur'an al-Kareem is the whole haq. Or the zat of the Apostle himself, the living prophet amongst you is complete haq. And if you, whoever you, and it's up to you now. You can choose to believe, you can choose to disbelieve. If you want to believe, you won't need the story of Ashab al-Kaf to convince you. And if you want to disbelieve being proven the story of Ashab al-Kaf, this still isn't going to bring you to belief. You're going to disbelieve based on your sha'a. Now, let's go back and look at the two things, the rabd. 
Before Allah Ta'ala said, right, that what, that if you don't have the zikr of Allah in your heart, you follow your own wishes, right, as opposed to Allah Ta'ala's, Allah Ta'ala's wishes. So zikr is also a way to bring us to iman. Because when we have zikr, we follow what Allah Ta'ala wants us to do, and that is the path of iman. And when we're void from zikr, right, then we follow our own wishes, and our own wishes, our own nafs inclines towards dunya, can inclines towards some type of lesser shirk or lesser kufr. Surely we have prepared for the unjust a fire. Now here comes one of those famous verses where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reprimands and mentions the punishment for disbelieving. A fire whose tent will envelop them and if they will beg for help, they shall be helped with water like oily dregs that will scald their faces. In a hadith in Tirmidhi, the Prophet has mentioned that Jahannam has four walls. right? And those four walls, the length of each wall is the distance of a person walking for 40 years. So that tells you something about the breadth and length of Jahannam, but there's no notion of the depth of Jahannam. Allahu alam, it could be bottomless. It has seven layers, right? Uh, the lowest of which, the seventh, the most lowest of which is the layer of the munafiqeen or of the hypocrites. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned that this Jahannam will envelop them. It means it will surround them, right? Not that they will be placed in it, in it but rather that Jahannam will envelop them, will consume them, right? And if they beg for help, because what will happen is because of this fire, there will be intense heat. Because there is intense heat, there will be thirst. And out of this need, they will beg for help. Here it means thirst. So they will be helped with water like oily dregs. In Surah Muhammad, another surah of the Quran, Allah mentioned that they will be given such a beverage to drink that it will shred their innards. It will shred their inward. It will destroy their inner self as the fire destroys their outward self. But nonetheless, they will continue to drink it like thirsty camels. That's how Allah describes this in Surah Muhammad. That they will be forced, at the one hand, their thirst will make them continually consume that beverage, even though it is shredding or tearing apart their inner sides. Here Allah mentions that that water would be so hot that it would scald their faces. So perhaps when they bring it to their mouth to drink, if you get like a steam burn, some person sometimes when you make chai, Sometimes you get a steam burn, right? So the water, they, it will burn their face. That will be the intensity of the heat of the water. But nonetheless, despite the burning of the face, despite the destruction of their inner organs and inner parts, they will drink it like thirsty camels. Right? So this is a notion, I mean really, Allah Ta'ala is giving us an example of the utter wretchedness, right, of the state of the people in Jahannam. As for those, this is also a classic asloob of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that he will not, right, he will mention the punishment with the reward, right? When he said that those who wish can be disbelievers, he's also, and he's mentioned what that outcome will be. In other words, that's what he's saying. He's not saying it's jayas. He's saying you can do it if you want, but know that it's not like it's not going to have repercussions. For the second group, that whoever wishes they can become believers, that will also have a repercussion. What is that? As for those who believe and do righteous deeds, in the ladina amanu wa amanu salihat, a famous refrain on the Qur'an al-Kareem. إِنَّا لَا نُضِيءُ أَجْرَمًا أَحْسَنَ amala. Allah is saying that verily I do not, this order word you have, dhaya, I do not waste even the slightest of their ajra. I will not waste any of their deeds. I will not waste the reward. مَنْ أَحْسَنَ amala. That person who is asan in his amal. What does this mean? That, that means Allah is mentioning a particular two words have been used here. Salih and asan for the amal. Salih and asan. Salih means according to the Qur'an and Sunnah and the Sharia. Those things that Allah Ta'ala has said are acts of worship. Because that's part of Allah's nature that we have to come to Him on His terms. 
Ahsan means khlusiniya. Things that were done with ikhlas were those actions, those righteous actions that were done in the asan way which is purely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to earn His pleasure out of His worship, out of His obedience. Those are the ones for whom there are eternal gardens, rivers flowing beneath them. This is something I mentioned to you previously, this concept of jannat and anhar flowing beneath them. They will be adorned therein with bracelets of gold. Min asawira min dhahabit. Now gold, as you know, is forbidden for men in this world, right? There are several reasons people, and it's not for women, several reasons given to that. One is that uh, men are not meant to have this outer trappings of zenith, whether it's gold or silk. These are the two most predominant things. Whereas women are allowed to do that. But women, as you know, are allowed to do so in such a way that they display those zenith, whether it's the gold or silk or their appearance, only to, right, their unmarriageable kin, which means their father, their husband, or their unmarriageable kin, which is their father, their uncle, their mamu, their son, their nephew, their brother, etc., etc. So even the zenith for women is limited, right? And the notion there is that basically then that woman will make herself muzayyan, right, for her husband, so she's been allowed to do that where a man does not wear that, right? Uh, first of all, because a man does not have a separate dress code in public or in private, right? There's no different way a man has to appear before his non-marriageable women and an ordinary woman. He has the same code, right? And that code does not involve uh, making this type of zinat. But here in Jannat, Allah SWT is mentioning that they will be given gold and they will be given the two words mentioned here. One is Sundus. If any of you have a friend whose name is Sundus, and istabrak, these are two types of silk. Sundus is a uh, thinner type of silk, right? And istabrak is a more thicker type of silk. Some have suggested that this might be referring to layers, uh, that you would first wear your istabrak and then your sundus will come over you. But Allah SWT mentions that these words mean sundusin was stabrakin, that they will be given clothing made up of sundus and istabrak. مُتَّكِئِينَ فِيهَا عَلَى الْأَرَائِكِ And they will recline therein in Jannat on couches or on thrones or however you want to mention it. But the, the feeling here is that they will be in a state of ease. نِعْمَتْ ثَوَابُ وَحَسُنَتْ مُرْتَفَقَ That they will get the most ni'am, the most noble and the most virtuous of rewards. وَحَسُنَتْ And noble and virtuous and beautiful. مُرْتَفَقَ Is Jannat as a resting place, as a place of dwelling. Right? <coughs> Then Allah SWT moves to the next story of Surah Al-Kaf. It's quite long and there's not that much. I'll just read it in English. Give them an example. O Prophet coin to them yet another example. And this them need not necessarily be the mushrikeen. It can also be the mu'mineen. Of two men. There were two men. And we gave one of those two men two gardens and groves of grapes and surrounded both of those grape gardens with date palms and placed vegetation between them. Okay? Now this is the ultimate, right, in the desert. The ultimate type of garden that you could have at that time is grapes and dates. Grapes and dates, these are the two ultimate things in the desert. And then to have vegetation, which means grass, greenery, lushness, vegetation around it. Okay, so that is a beautiful picture. Both the gardens that this one person had brought forth their fruit. In other words, the dates also were coming forth and the grapes were also coming forth. And we suppressed nothing from it. We caused a stream to flow through them. So we also had running water to supply his garden. And he had wealth. 
So he said to his companion, so person A says to person B, while conversing with him, I am greater than you in wealth and stronger in power, because the other person didn't have these gardens. So the first person is basically doing fakhr. He's being arrogant based on the wealth that he's been given. And he entered his garden in a state of zul. He entered his own garden doing zul. By doing what? By saying, I do not think that this will ever perish. So he was so caught up in the zenith of the dunya, right? That the beauty of this world seemed to him to be everlasting. Whereas Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is alone is that being who will never perish. And me and you will never perish in the akhirah due to his hukam and due to his will, not due to any power of our own. But he says that, that I don't think that this fine gardens of mine will ever perish. And I do not think that the hour will come. I do not think the day of judgment necessarily has to come. I know that I might live in this state forever. Right? That is an extremely right uh, statement of disbelief. And then he says, and even if I am sent back to my Lord, I will surely find a better place than this to, than to resort to. What does this mean? He's saying here that if Allah Ta'ala has given me so much bounty and wealth in this world, then even if there is a day of judgment, I end up meeting Allah, well surely He will give me even greater than this. The misconception there is that just because you get wealth in this world does not mean that you will be pleased with Allah Ta'ala will be pleased with in the Akhirah. Just because He has bestowed upon you a bountiness and plentifulness in this world does not mean you will have something in the Akhirah. But He was looking at His dunya and thinking His acquisition of dunya was going to be a basis of His Akhirah. So then His companion replies to Him, said His companion who was a poor person is conversing Him, Do you deny Him who created you from dust, then from a drop, then made you a perfect man? This notion of humanity being created from dust or earth or mud, again, as I've explained to you sometimes before, is that human beings were created from the periodic table of elements. Not that you were earth mud creatures, right? That you were like the, what did the knights of the living dead or the walking zombies and your mud creatures. No, you were created from the earth, meaning the adza of the earth. The adza of the earth, which is what mean you call the periodic table of elements. Then, right, that person was created from a drop, which is the qatra. And then he made you a perfect man. Here the poor person is saying that, look at the other ni'mas Allah has given you. You're free of defects. You don't have any birth defects. You have been given full bodily health. As for me, he says, I believe that Allah is my Lord. And I do not associate anyone with my Lord. Why when you entered your garden, right, when you entered, this is what you could have said. Why when you entered your garden, you did not say, right, uh, why do you do not say that verily everything is Allah wills there is no power except for Allah so this is also training before we got this training of insha'Allah here we're getting this training of saying that if we have been given some benefit some blessing of this world it can be tangible it can be our intellect it can be beauty it can be wealth it can be health it can be anything right this is because Allah Ta'ala willed it for us and this gives us a remembrance of shukr. That we should be grateful, that we didn't earn this or deserve this on our own, but we have this because it was the will of Allah. There is no power to grant me this and there is no power to sustain this for me except by Allah Ta'ala. So if I am shukr, if I am a shakir, then perhaps Allah will make these blessings remain permanent for me. So he said, you should have said this. And then he says, right, if you saw me that I was inferior to you in money and children. So when you saw that you were better than me, you were right. You are better than me. Right? In these ways, in wealth. And he's mentioning another thing about children. But what you should have said was you should have attributed that to Allah. 
Then he continues, and it is likely. <coughs> and so the person then says, is it likely that, uh, then the poor person continues, that it is likely that Allah Ta'ala will give me what is better than your garden. And will say, meaning in the Akhirah, because of this belief of mine, that I am firm in my belief in Allah, and you are saying that I don't even know whether the hour or the day of judgment will necessarily come. And that Allah Ta'ala may send to you a punishment because of these statements of yours and your garden will become a barren land or its water will sink deep in the earth so that you will never be able to search it out. And then the, the, the dialogue ends. And then the Quran stream continues that that's exactly what happened and its produce, the dates and grapes of that person's growth was overwhelmed by calamities, disease. And he stood wringing his hands in anguish over what he had invested in it. Why it had fallen down on its vines, it collapsed on itself. The dates and the grape collapsed on their plants. As he was saying, and then he realized, I wish I had not ascribed any partner to my Lord. This Allah Ta'ala is contrasting, whereas the zikr afterwards, if you forget, isn't always going to benefit you. Over there, the Prophet forgot to say, Insha'Allah, you remember later, it can benefit you. This is a particular case that you forgot to do the shukr of Allah. Well, not really forgot, actually, it's not in the sound, you deliberately chose not to do it. Now remembering later is not going to benefit you. So he's making a contrast. One is different between forgetfulness, that is nisyan. And here is deliberate admission, deliberate ungratefulness, deliberate kufr. So now this person says, right, uh, the wealthier person in the garden, that I wish that I had believed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I wish that I had not ascribed, right? Ya laytani lama ushrik bi rabbi ahada. Ya laytani means I wish, but it's a hope that you cannot realize. It's an unrealizable hope. I wish that only if only lam ashrik, lam ushrik, if I had not associated any partner bin Rabbi with my Lord Ahada. Right? What was the partner that he had associated? Himself. Or his garden, or his wealth, or longevity, or the eternality of that growth. And there were no supporters for him beside Allah who could come to his help, nor was he able to defend himself. That is where the power of protection rests with Allah, the true God. He is the best in rewarding and the best in requiting. Okay? He is the best in rewarding <coughs> and the best in uh, bestowing. Alright? Now, uh, Sayyidina Abu Hurairah then mentions in the hadith that this is an example of a calamity Obviously, a, a difficulty bestowing somebody who was either shaky in their belief or had a moment in unbelief. But he mentioned that the Apostles said that the Muslims will also be afflicted with calamities, lest they think somehow that being a Muslim or a mu'min is going to save us from test, trial, and tribulation. No, the Apostles said that Muslims will be afflicted with test, trial, and tribulation as a means of forgiving them for their sins. So much so that perhaps they may meet Allah subhanahu in such a state that their sins have been forgiven due to the tests and calamities that they faced. Alright? Then Allah subhanahu then switches to a next story which is going to last from verses 45 to verses 50. Alright? Uh, and this is basically a parody about the dunya itself. Al-Malu wal-Banoon zinat al-Hayat al-Dunya That... Uh, that coined for them the example of the worldly life. It is like water or rain that we send down from the sky. Then the plantation of the earth receives it and grows, but then it eventually dies, it is turned to shaft, and it becomes blown away by the winds. And Allah Ta'ala is powerful over everything. So Allah Ta'ala is saying is everything in this world, He grants it life. 
And then at times that life flourishes to its maximal level, which is the zenith, right? But every single thing will eventually then decay and eventually die. And when it dies, it has such a little hasiyat, like sort of you have a dead grass, it just gets whisked away by a slight breeze. So that thing that then passes through the cycle and then dies, it just passes away from this world. Like the wind will take away a dead piece of, a dead plant or a dead piece of grass. Then also, Al-Malu wal Banuna Zinat al Hayat and Dunya, that wealth and children are the zenith of the embellishment of this world. Right? Well, Baqiyatu Salihat, and those things that will be Baqi, that remain, that are everlasting, are the Salihat. Are again the righteous deeds, the good actions, the pious virtues. And they are Khairun in the Rabbik, and these things are better in the eyes of your Lord. Right? Both in rewards, Thawabun, wa Khairun Amala. That they are both better in terms of the thawab and khairan amala. Amala is the hamza. It means in giving you good hope. Amal. means in having hope for the mercy of Allah, hope for the love of Allah. The salihat are even better than to have wealth and children. And you remember this other famous verse of the Quran, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Yomala yanfa umalun mula banun. That remember that day, the day of judgment, is a day in which nafa, no nafa will be given to you due to your amal, due to your wealth, or your worldly possessions. Wallah banun due to literally your sons or any of your worldly relations. The only thing that will benefit a person on that day, illa man atallah bin salim, is that person who brings to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a pure, a sound, an untainted heart. Right? And so the notion, and again, it doesn't mean money can benefit you when you spend it for the sake of Allah. A son can benefit you by supporting you, by being a pious person, by raising them as a person who obeys Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But in of themselves, which is the concept the dunyavi concept that in this age, and it's particularly something that the Arabs, but even in this day and age, people like to amass wealth. And they feel that they have greater status due to the wealth they have. Or some people feel they have greater status due to the number of children, or the number of sons they have. So Allah SWT is saying that the status in Allah Ta'ala's eyes is going to be based on your salihat. You could be poor and childless, but be great in Allah Taala's eyes. And you could be wealthy and have abundance of children and sons and everything. But you could be lowly in Allah Taala's eyes. Right? As you said elsewhere in the Quran, inna akramakum indallahi atqaqum. That really the most honored of you in Allah Taala's eyes are those who have the most taqwa. Then Allah Taala mentions this day. Right? When he, going back to this day, this day of judgment. This means, and this is the day we will separate the mountains. That it means that you will see the mountains move. It means that Allah Ta'ala will sever the mountains and will take them off until this earth is made into one massive plane. And this way he's saying, you will see the earth baris. You remember your Zabir baris. Baris will be exposed. You will see the earth, the plains, the earth exposed. Even means the ground underneath the mountains will also become exposed to the earth will be fully exposed. Nahum, then we will do hashar. And you will notice this is also where Yom al Hashar means the day of gathering. We will gather and encompass all of humanity together so as not to leave a single one of them. And they should be presented lined up before their Lord. And then it will be said to them, Lo, you have come to us just as we had created you for the first time. This is mentioned in Hadith by the Prophet ﷺ that a human being when they are raised on the Day of Judgment, they will be resurrected in the way they were created. One immediately means here that without wealth and children because you were created alone and without any money. It also means without any of our blessings. It, mean, it can it also include means without our clothing. right? Um, the proper word here would be naked, not nude. Not in the way that we view these things. It means that we will be just raised like a baby. 
right? We will be raised without any of our possessions, any of our trappings. And none of these apostles said that people will be raised on the day of judgment barefoot, barefooted and empty of clothing, right? Uh, but they will be so mm, in a state of fear and anxiety that day, they're not going to be noticing one another. Uh, any more than two, three babies who are crying in the infant's ward are noticing one another. They're totally oblivious to one another, right? And so we will be in a similar state of tears, right? And shock and awe and trepidation on that day, right? Uh, and the reason that Spantan is doing this is to show and saying this, he will do it and also saying this, doing it, is to show that truly you will have nothing. There's nothing, not even the most meager of shawls, not even the slightest of clothing, Nothing of this world will you bring with you. The only thing that you will bring with you are your deeds, is your heart, is your taqwa, is your iman. That's all that you will have. And a person who doesn't have that will truly feel naked and exposed. And a person who has those things, inshallah aziz, will not feel in that state. In fact, will be shaded by the arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, will be shaded by the throne of Allah on that day in which there is no other shade. Right? And that shade can mean literally shading us from the heat of that day. But it also can mean that that shade would be our modesty, would be our clothing, would be our sukoon, would be our itminan. Right? So you will, uh, lo, you will come to us just as we created you for the first time while you claim that we would not make any appointed time for you. So this is referring to that person. Other people say, I don't think the hour will necessarily come. So you will see the hour is going to come and it will hit you up front in your face. And you will realize on that day, but again on that day, realizations will not be of any benefit for us. The only realization that will be of any benefit to us is the realization we make in this world before we reach that day. And the book of deeds will be placed before them. Right? And you, and then you will see. That the book will be placed in front of them and the mujrimin, the people who were sinful, who were guilty, who were wrongdoings, will be terrified. Mushfikina mimma will be amazed and terrified of what is in it. And they will say, Ya waylatana, woe is to us. What is it about this book? That it is not left out even the sagheer, the slightest of actions that we did. Everything's in here. Our whole history is here. Wala kabira, and it's not left out the gross or the immense actions that we did. Illa ahsaha, except that it is encompassed in the totality of everything that we did. They will be stunned. They themselves will be stunned by the level of their zulm when their the book of deed, their own book is placed in front of them. So imagine if they themselves are amazed at their zulm then what will be the state of their amal or that book on the mizan? How light or how heavy would their sins be on mizan that they themselves are amazed by it? And they're amazed by that book. So rather than wait to be amazed by that book on that day, we should be amazed by this teaching in this world. And we should be amazed at truly what are these karam and katibin? What is these angels who are writing everything that I do? What is this book that has everything? And sometimes really, and I'll not put the sagheera first, because sometimes the minor things that mean you and do in life are terrible. Sometimes the minor things that mean you do in life are things that should make us shake. Those minor lies that we said, those small deceptions that we told ourselves, those small ways that we hurt someone, right? And they brought us nothing. They were trivialities, but we did them anyway. All of that will also be there on those book of deeds. وَوَجَدُوا مَا عَمِلُوا حَاذِرًا and they will find everything that they did present in that deed. 
Allah Ta'ala does not zone. Your Rabb will not do zone on anybody one instance. There will not be anything there that's not what we did. Only and only and exactly and exactly what we did will be there in that book. Right? And so Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala ends this passage over here. Then Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala shifts gears. But let me tell you what the next thing is and then maybe I'll show you the rabb. On verses 50 to 53, again Surah number 18, Surah Kaf, Allah Subhanahu mentions again, but in brief, having dealt with this in Surah Baqarah and Surah Araf in detail, He mentions here in brief and passing yet once again the story of Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam. And both Surah Baqarah and Surah Araf are before the Quran al Karim, uh, before Surah Kaf in the Quran al Karim. Right? So, what part of that story does He mention here and why? What is the rabd? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions and recall when we said to the angels, right, prostrate yourselves, do sajda before Adam alayhisam. All of them did sajda except for Iblis, right? And here uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the word Iblis as opposed to shaitan. Fasajadu illa Iblis kana min al-jinn. And this is where it becomes very clear that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala making it clear that Iblis was from amongst the jinn. Many times people have this misconception, they think he was an angel, and that he was a fallen angel. And we accept this Christian, uh, that's the Christian understanding that uh, Satan was a fallen angel, and Adam is the fallen man, and this whole notion of falling, and being raised to the salvation of Sayyidina Isa that you accept him as your Lord, Christ, and Savior. No. Here, that's, we'll come to that some other time probably, but here Iblis is clearly mentioned as a jinn. He was a jinn who happened to be there. The hukum was addressed to the whole assembly, be it jinn, be it angel, that you must do sajjah to say in Adam alayhi salam. All of the angels did it, because that's what the angels do. They do not have the freedom to disobey. They're not able to disobey. They are creatures that by their very definition, by their very nature, they exist for the itaat and ibadat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They exist for his obedience and worship. Said, Iblis wasn't like that. He was a jinn. He had that freedom. And he chose to exercise that freedom and he disobeyed. And it's an amazing thing when you think about it, Iblis is not a disbeliever in a classical sense. Iblis is not an atheist. Iblis fully <laughs> believes in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Iblis has seen Allah. <laughs> Iblis never ever claims to be an atheist. Never at any point of his life will he ever try to profess atheism. So maybe atheism isn't the most great evil that needs to be eradicated from this earth. Right? And that's why the munafiqeen have the lowest level in Jahannam. Iblis is someone who knows Allah, who's seen Allah, who believes in Allah, who's ilmul yaqeen, aynul yaqeen, haqqul yaqeen, everything. Nonetheless, he does something which Allah still labels as kufr. He disobeys, right? So now imagine that if me and you are people who also believe but disobey, our nisbat goes back to something far worse than atheist, our nisbat goes back to Iblis, shaitan, rajim, the repudiated and the rejected one because that's his attribute. He knows Allah to be, and yet he chooses to disobey. Right? And that is the state of a sinning Muslim. That is the state of a sinning believer. Right? Nukher Iblis refused. He didn't prostrate. He was in the jinn. He rebelled against the commandment of his Lord. Do you still take him? Now Allah SWT is asking the uh, people, that do you take him and and his progeny? The notion here is that you have the progeny of Adam alayhi salam, his descendants. Then on the other hand, shaitan is an individual jinn, there are other jinn. 
It's not the only jinn. But those jinn who are descendants of shaitan, they're the shayateen. They are his assistants, they are his helpers. They are engaged along with him in this mission. Having, they also complete belief that Allah exists. They are also engaged on this mission to distract and divert humanity from earning the pleasure of Allah Taala due to their enmity. First, their enmity is with Allah. They're the enemies of Allah. And second, they're the enemies of humanity. Right? So Allah Ta'ala is saying that despite all this, do you still take him and his minions or his descendants, awliya, as awliya, as your friends, as your benefactors, as your guides. Right? Min duni, Allah Ta'ala is saying about himself, other than me. وَهُمْ لَكُمْ أَدُوبٌ And all of those people are enemies towards you. Who in the world would take an enemy? In of itself, that's ludicrous that you would befriend an enemy or follow an enemy. And to do that instead of Allah, to remove Allah from the place that He is supposed to be your wali, He is supposed to be your guide and benefactor. And in His place put shaitan. Right? The worst thing, it's a terrible thing that these people of Dhom, of these oppressors, have taken instead of Allah subhanahu wa He is uh, shaitan or iblis and his minions are the most evil badal. Ba'sa means they're the worst possible badal means substitute that you could have ever tried to take in the place of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I did not make them witnesses of the creation of the heavens and the earth, nor of their own creation. I was not such that I should take the misleaders as helpers. Now what happens here is that what does Iblis try to get you to do? Iblis tries to get you to do shirk, to take other gods, to, to other beings of worship, right? And the notion here is that what, what he's saying is, is that Allah Ta'ala is saying here in the Qur'an al-Kareem, is that it's as if that somebody else participated in this creation. And he's showing you, first of all, the grave life, shaitan, because shaitan himself saw the creation. And he knows that it was Allah alone who created Adam alayhi That's also what shaitan knows, right? But when he tries to guide people to shirk, he's trying to convince people that you have some other creator, you have some other lord, and therefore you should worship them, right? Uh, so obviously Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not need help from any other party, and we would be foolish to seek the help from somebody such as shaitan, whose sworn uh, purpose in life is to make people go astray. Then Allah Ta'ala continues, Recall the day when He will say, Call my partners. Recall the day when Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala said, That why don't you do nida, call the people who you thought, who you ascribed as partners to me. Call your false gods, your false deities. It can be money, it can be wealth, it can be power, it can be false idols. Right? Alladhina za'amtum fada'ohum That you felt existed, fada'ohum and make dua to them. Ask them to help you. But they will not respond to you. Falam yastajibu. They will never respond to them, and they will never help them. Wajalna bainahum mobika, and we will put a destructive barrier between them. Okay, this word mobik uh, is being referred to here as a barrier. Okay, and the sinners will see the fire, so they will know that they will have to fall into it, and they will find no way to bypass it. Indeed, we have explained in this Quran. Indeed, we have explained in this Qur'an every subject in various ways for the benefit of the people, but out of all creation, man is most disputing. This is worth reading, and perhaps we'll have to end on this before we begin. 
I'll read you a few more verses very quickly. The next time we'll do Sayyidina, we'll say something. Okay, let me just read it and I'll comment on it. The only thing that prevented people from believing, even after the guidance had come to them, and seeking forgiveness from the Lord, is their demand that what used to come to the earlier people should come to them as well, or that the punishment should visit them face to face. We send the messengers only as bearers of good tidings and warnings, and those who disbelieve raise disputes on the basis of false arguments so that they may nullify the truth with their false arguments, and that they have taken my signs and the warnings given to them as mockery. Who is more unjust than the one who was reminded through the signs of his Lord, but he turned away from them, and forgot with his own hands sent to head? Indeed, we have put covers on their hearts that bar them from understanding it, in the Qur'an, and we have created deafness in their ears. And if you call them to guidance, even then they will never adopt the right path. Your Lord is the most forgiving, the Lord of mercy. If He seizes them for what they did, He may cause the punishment to befall them sooner. But there is an appointed time for them from which they can never find a place of refuge. There are towns that we destroyed when their people transgressed and we had appointed a time for their destruction. This goes up to verse number 59. What is the theme going on here? Right, the theme is that number one, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that verily we have coined in this Quran for all of humanity, each and everything. But rather insan, humanity for the large part is disputing. Right? And you find this notion of jidal, disputing, argumentation, doubts, skepticism, questioning, countering, critiquing, criticizing. And actually this is the way, right, that the unbelievers want us to approach the Qur'an al-Kareem. Right? And they will euphemize this that critical studies, right? And this is the way secularism destroyed biblical studies by bringing what they call the critical uh, text method and literary criticism. And they are a very small pocket of people who are trying to convince Muslims that they should also be open-minded. Right, open-minded to what? Open-minded to the fact that the Quran is false, and we call that close-mindedness, or open-minded to the fact that the Quran is skewed, or the Quran is incoherent. Right. Uh, so Allah Taala is saying that actually this is the nature of humanity, that most of them are going to do jidal, only a few are going to do taslim, only a few are going to submit themselves to the Quran al-Karim. So there are different ways, relationships you can have with the Quran. One is an relationship of mujadala, that I'm going to engage this Quran in a, in a critical way. Critical means critiquing it in an argumentative way, not in discovery or questioning for the sake of ilm. That is permissible. But with skepticism, with doubt, with critique, with questioning, with allegations of its inconsistency, etc., etc., then that goes back to the theme we mentioned in the very beginning of this verse, that there's no iwaj. There's, in the beginning of the surah, that there's no iwaj in the kitab, there's no crookedness, there's no unclarity in the Qur'an. And this book is qayyim. It is straight, it is clear, it is established. But people will do jidal. And then Allah Ta'ala says that the only thing, that what is the thing that prevents people from believing? Allah Ta'ala Himself saying, after the hidayah has come to them, and they, what prevents them from seeking forgiveness from their Lord? Except that they do the things that the earlier people did, right? They want to follow the sunnah of their forefathers. And again, by this means the unbelieving forefathers. It's a very grave uh, mistake and a very big sin for people to use this verse on fellow Muslims. Right? So you will find that, that there are some Muslims who use these verses on their fellow Muslims. 
and say you were just following the sunnah of your awwaleen means you just follow Imam Mukhali or you just follow Imam Shafi. You're a traditionalist or you're a conservative or you're orthodox and they use this verse. Astaghfirullah Rabbi min kulli dhulmi wa tubalay al-aman al-hafiz min dhalik to use a verse of the Quran that Allah Ta'ala has clearly revered for unbelievers. For Muslims to take such verses and use them against each other is the most worst and most evil and divisive type of sectarianism that a person can imagine. Oh, yatihum al-adhabu kubala. Or are they waiting for the punishment to come to them? What some people used to say is that, okay, we'll repent from our ways once we actually get punished. But once you actually get punished, there's no, there's no time for you to repent. It's like Fir'aun when he was drowned in the waters of the Red Sea. At that moment he said, Amantu bi Rabbi Musa. Even then he said, Bi Rabbi Musa. He couldn't say Allah. He still did nisbat of the rububiyat to Musa alayhi salam. But at that point it was too late. Right? Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying that we have sent the messengers, mursileen, for this reason, right, that they can nul- that they can resolve these disputes, they can remove this jadal, right, but un- instead the disbelievers choose to refute the truth through their arguments, and they reject their sign, my signs, viewing them as mockery. Then Allah says, وَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ مِمَّنْ ذُكِّرَ That who is that person who is more unjust than that person who was given the dhikr? was given the dhikr bi ayati rabbihi and was reminded through the signs of his Lord. Right? فَأَعْرَزَ anha, But he chose to do i'raz. He spurned it. He chose to leave those signs of Allah. And he chose to forget that which he has sent. He forgets what his own actions are. Is ignorant or oblivious to what type of akhir he himself has earned. So then Allah subhanahu is very clear. After all of that, after getting the ayat, after getting the zikr, after receiving the zikr, after choosing to spurn it, after refusing it, after adopting kufr, only after all of that does Allah subhanahu wa say, inna ja'alna ala qulubihim akinnatan, that verily we put on their heart a shroud, a cover, kalb, their spiritual hearts. So Allah ta'ala, after giving the hidayah, after giving the zikr, after sending his ayat, if a person keeps spurning, only then does Allah ta'ala set a seal on our hearts when we have chosen basically to seal them ourselves. Ayyafkahuhu, so that they would not understand the Qur'an al-Kareem, deafness to ears, etc. And then Allah says, such people, in tud'uhum, if you try to do da'wah to them, ilal huda, to guidance, falan yahtadu idha abad, idha abada, and they will never ever get hidayah. Nonetheless, Allah Ta'ala, to counter this, to make it clear, that until you reach this ultimate state, Remember before that point where Rabbukal Ghafuru Rahma that your Lord is Ghafur, is all forgiving. Rahma is the person of mercy. And some commentators even argue that even if a person has this shroud on their heart, but if somehow they manage on their own, they cannot receive Hidayah from without. But inside their heart perhaps something might call from, from within, and they decide to seek the forgiveness of Allah, then Allah Ta'ala's forgiveness and mercy is all-encompassing, and He can even forgive them, and have His mercy bring them back onto Hidayah. Right? And the last thing He mentions is that the punishment of Allah is going to come when He has decreed it. This is not a method to say that, okay, why doesn't Allah send the punishment right now? This is a taunt of the disbelievers. Even some atheists will say today, that, okay, just tell your Lord to punish me right now, if He really exists. Allah doesn't work that way. He's not going to punish you right now. He's not going to send a blast of thunderbolt like some mythical Greek god right, and strike you down at this moment for disobeying him. Allah Ta'ala said the punishment, the hour has an appointed time. The day of judgment will come in its appointed place. That punishment will come in its appointed time. It's not going to be hastened for you. 
Alright, so that is the end up till here. Inshallah, till next time, which is Wednesday, on the same time, 4.45 in the same room, we will do this very uh, long and incredible story of Sayyidina Musa Salam and Khizr. Tomorrow's session is an SC1. I mean, it's Tuesday at 5.45, and that is not their Sikran. That is on purification of the heart. Alright? Wa'afirun da'wana. And alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.